Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad, and I have a special guest today, Ron, the co-founder and CEO of Rockerbox. We'll be digging deeper, getting that shovel out, going deeper and deeper into attribution and measurement and all the different challenges that our shared customers are facing. Ron, welcome, and love to hear a quick overview on yourself and Rockerbox for everybody listening. Uh, hey, Brad. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the intro. Good to be here. Uh, big fan of your podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, Ron Jacobson from uh, Rockerbox, and uh, Rockerbox is the leading attribution provider for direct-to-consumer brands. Uh, we aim to help companies from seed to IPO to essentially measure all their marketing, whether it's paid, organic, digital, and offline. They come to Rockerbox to be a source of truth across all of their marketing. We'll dive deeper into this, obviously, but that's that's at least how we really go to market. There's a lot of work that goes goes in underneath that to make that happen. But yeah, that's uh, that's the high level on Rockerbox. Nice. So we, we've had many and will continue to have many mutual customers over the years. Where where do you feel like your primary customer cohort is? I, I know historically you had the the lighter version of Rockerbox that was, I think was in the App Store you released a year or two ago. And obviously you have your the primary platform and all the enhancements you've been making over the last year. Can, can you just give a little bit of context for everybody? Again, primary cohorts that you serve and, and continue to uh, to add to your customer list? Yeah, it's it's definitely evolving over time. Um, I'd say when we first launched Rockerbox, um, we were very much kind of going for that mid-tier direct-to-consumer brand. They were spending five, ten, twenty million dollars a year in marketing uh, across multiple channels, and that was kind of the first cohort of customers that we had. And what was interesting about that was those those brands scale uh, and they get larger and larger. So what we realized is that to keep up with their growth, we need to keep up with their growth. Um, you know, that uh, our product needed to evolve. We needed to become good for them as they scale. So there was a large portion of our time and energy spent making sure we can go up market with those brands and that things like data warehousing and customizability and transparency. But over time, we've also had a core of customers that are coming even earlier. So earlier and earlier, not that 10, 20, 30 million dollar a year in annual marketing spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand, a million dollars, even even lower. So it's really evolved over time. I kind of said it before, but internally we think about it uh, from C to IPO. Our goal is to be able to have marketing management technology that works for brands through their life cycle as they scale and and that change and it varies what they need during all those different uh, uh, kind of parts of their life cycle. So that, that's kind of how we yeah. think about our customer base. We're very much B2C focused, uh, very much focused on digital brands. But yeah, companies like Figs and Rothy's all the way up to Burden and 100 Flowers are all yeah. uh, sort of companies that would work with Rockerbox. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Rothy's was one just three to four years ago, I remember that when they were first onboarding with you and obviously they've they've grown substantially like Figs and others. Maybe I'll, I'll dig into the team. So what is, if we take Rothy's or Figs or the 1-800-Flowers, et cetera, maybe some more that might be in the Shopify or, or our shared customer space. What does their team structure look like? Do they have in-house analysts, did, obviously digital marketers, but can you just uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's that's really what correlates the most to kind of, uh, the most to where they are in their uh, in their own journey. Um, yeah. You know, when we're working with a brand like an early stage Shopify brand, they're primarily on Facebook and Google. Maybe they're doing a little bit of influencer, a little bit of affiliate. It's really just a marketing team. You're talking about two or three folks, and they're kind of doing a bit of everything. Uh, you know, there's a head of marketing. There's maybe somebody focused on paid, somebody focused on uh, organic, whatever that is, retention. Um, but it's it's a small team, and they're doing a bit of everything. There's no 
data science org. There's no analysts. There's no BI framework. So that that's kind of the foundation where we start with companies. They're spending a lot of their time, frankly, in in platforms. Uh, yeah. Actually, logging into you know Facebook and companies like that, and Google Analytics, and a ton in Excel. Like a lot of their days just spent in Excel, which is fine. As they scale, though, uh, the marketing org gets more sophisticated. Uh, it gets more verticalized inside the marketing org across different channels and kind of channel managers specific to each you know t- different strategy there. And then you start to get like an analyst. You know, maybe they have one person as an analyst. The person can do some SQL, some DBT. They're doing a little bit of hitting APIs and stuff, um, trying to automate a little bit of what they're doing. And that's kind of like the next phase of growth. Um, and then finally, as they scale, you're talking about data science organizations, formal BI organizations. It's really interesting. We even start to expand there into finance and operations because they get to a point where understanding the impact of marketing has real business implications for how they operate as an organization. You know, what is spending an extra million dollars on TV mean for our sales in one week, two weeks, three weeks. So that's where finance and operations start to get involved as well. But yeah, it's it's really as the organization scales, the scope and scale of their marketing analytics team increases as well. So being able to support that is it's difficult, but it's, it's yeah. what we what we aim to do at Rockerbox. Where would you say that the technical analyst that that seems like you go from just having your marketing team and the ecom team in house and then you bring in that analyst so it sounds like that would be someone technical, so they're able to write queries and dig, really just get in the weeds and different in either your data warehouse or potentially their own. Is that right? We've had times where uh, you know a client of ours brings on board a data analyst and they're spooling up aware uh, Snowflake for the first time, and the company doesn't even have one. And I don't know if really anybody outside of the analyst necessarily knows that Snowflake is now part of their organization. We have other companies that they come to us and say, "We want this warehousing thing. How do we do it?" Um, and we have times where we'll spool it up for them, but yeah, you get to that stage of growth where you start to realize like you can't just have the data in some UI. You need it in uh, internally and you need it in a place where it's going to be predictably there in a predictable schema. Um, so you can start to build on top of it. That could be dashboards, obviously. It could be scripts. It could be hitting APIs or buying platforms to make adjustments and things like that. But that data needs to get there consistently. So yeah, yeah you get that first analyst. Sometimes they're in marketing. Sometimes they're outside of marketing and they're kind of some portion of their time is resourced to marketing. Uh, we've seen it. I've seen it happen both ways. Where does that spend the spend? So, like the average m- marketing spend per month. Where would you say that's the threshold? Where yeah, if, if you're over X, then you should probably start thinking about an analyst that can start to build this infrastructure for you. Uh, that's a good question. My, my so my first answer was to say as early as possible. Like I honestly think as early as possible, it, it's beneficial. And you probably see it's the same on your uh, on your end. Like the later you start to put in place some of the infrastructure that's necessary the more you're putting in place really bad practices that can't be undone. Well, they can be undone, but it's costly and expensive. It takes time. Um, it's kind of like, you know, why, you know, with Elevar, like if you don't have uh, conversions flowing properly, the longer that happens, the longer your data's bad historically. So yeah, I mean, it really depends on the business themselves, but I would personally say as soon as possible. We've we've definitely, I would say in the last, called the post iOS rollout, the number of questions that, that I'll get and our team will get from our customers of, hey, we want to start building our own data warehouse. How do we get started? How do you answer that question? So is it, okay, we're going to take you, we're going to crawl, walk, run before we start sprinting? What, what does that process look like just in your experience? I mean, it's a conversation. This all comes back like to resources and time. And you know, a company that's raised $20 million and is in scale, scale, scale mode is very different than a company that's kind of growing 10, 20, 30% a year. I definitely believe it's really important for companies to get, uh, we kind of use this phrase, their marketing data infrastructure in place. If anything, I actually think that's like what Rockerbox is really in market doing is we're helping brands get that, their marketing data infrastructure in place so they can then do things like measurement and attribution on top of it. But if you kind of don't have that foundation in place, you can't, you can't do that. 
that's your specific question. Like, what are the steps? There are different approaches. I mean, for some companies, it's getting up and running with someone like uh, a funnel or a five train if they're more technical or super metrics just to get data flowing from the platforms into Google Sheets. And, and by the way, that, that's a fine starting point. I can, I've seen companies uh, go really, really far just with that. Eventually, though, they're going to need the data in some sort of a database. In the past, that was, you know, dropping, dropping off files and SFTPs and S3s and people having to manually, t- uh, uh, you know, get, get some sort of engineering that can process that data and put it into a database. Uh, more so now, it's sort of synchronized, uh, synchronized databases and warehouses, putting data into their data warehouse. And for the most part, the vendor being reliable to synchronize it and to ensure that it's constantly staying up to date. That's, that's the preferable way so that at the end of the day, the brands don't have to worry about getting the data into their warehouse. It's more, what do I do with it? And that's where we see all brands end up and end up arriving at. Uh, it's just yeah. really a question of can they, can they do that today? For those that aren't familiar with what you do and maybe in a little bit more of a technical manner, can you describe Rockerbox? So what is that? What's that onboarding look like? What are the different connections that you're doing? Just pitch me. Pitch me. Again, (laughs) most have probably heard of you, but they may not know the nuances of, okay, how does Rockerbox compare to X, Y, and Z? So I'd love to to hear that that breakdown. Yeah, the way that we think about it is the moment brands kind of go beyond Facebook and Google, things get complicated. That's actually changed in the last year because things can get complicated just within Facebook and Google. Um, so that story's changed a little bit, but uh, at least stepping back, it was, uh, you know, you've scaled for a certain point with Facebook, Google. Now you're launching OTT and you're launching CTV and you're launching direct mail or linear. And all of a sudden, like you spent a million bucks last month on a TV ad campaign. You, lo- you log into Google Analytics and you don't see TV there. Um, and that's, that's disconcerting for a brand. You don't really know what's happening. You see maybe your organic search went up, maybe your direct traffic went up, maybe your paid search went up, and it's hard to actually attribute what the correlation was between that TV uh, spend that you just finished and what's actually happening. What's the business impact from that marketing? And that's essentially where Rockerbox comes in. Uh, You work with Rockerbox and we provide you with the underlying data that can help answer all these questions. We provide an approach to measure channels that are difficult to measure or channels that don't actually have... uh, Channels that don't have an explicit, this is the right way to measure a channel. Like TV? Would TV be an example? Yeah, exactly. Like you can't click, a, you, you literally can't click an ad on TV, right? Yeah. Uh, you can't know for a fact that a person who saw a TV ad came to your site or came to your app and converted. There, there are pseudo ways to do it, but like you cannot know for a fact that it happened. So as a random brand, you can choose, hey, I'm going to go spend the next quarter hiring an engineer and hiring a data scientist, and I'm going to put them on the task of figuring out how to measure TV. And they're going to start that process by figuring out, how do I even get the data? How do I get the data of where the TV ads were served? How do I get the session data from my my site? How do I get that in one location? How do I start to think about marrying that data? Like you're talking about quarters of work to go before you even can ask the question, cool, I have all the data. Now, how do I connect the dots? What's the approach that we want to take? And that's really, I think, where and why brands come to a rocker box. They could say, rather than us having to try to develop the expertise, and more importantly, to maintain that in perpetuity, maintain that pipeline, we rely on Rockerbox for that. Rockerbox does all that work for us. They construct those underlying data sets that are needed to be able to run a TV analysis. Rockerbox provides us that initial TV analysis. And if we want to get, go beyond that and get more advanced, obviously that, that, you know, that's fair game. And I, I support that, but they're still going to need the underlying data to even try to eventually run more sophisticated analysis themselves. So stepping back to like where Rockerbox comes in, any DTC brand working with Rockerbox knows that all of a sudden, They'll, they have a vendor that'll construct all the right data sets for them. They'll have an approach to measure whatever channel they're spending dollars on. Not perfect approach. Nothing is perfect, but at least they know that they're spending dollars in something and they have somewhere to look at. And I think that's really, really critical. I want to peel this onion back because 
I, I, just, I was talking to uh, uh, Brandon from Diamondback Coverage yesterday, and we started talking about TV advertising and some other things. But can you can you maybe break apart TV versus video streaming? So the Roku's and others that I think would you would lump into the, your OTT. You had a couple other acronyms that maybe not everyone knows exactly what they what they are. So yeah, let's start there. OTT, and then any others that. Uh, are worth describing and then just maybe go a little bit deeper on how you, how the measurement actually works for TV versus again, the Roku's and some of these other new services. Sure. Um, so you have uh, OTT CTV, which are two terms that actually mean the same thing for the most part over the top and connected TV, I guess. And that's exactly like your whole, your Hulu's and the Roku's. Um, so that's, that's sort of a channel. Uh, when I say TV, linear TV, that's like classic TV. You know, you're like logging into TV, you're changing the channel, classic cable. And essentially, like this is a really good example where these are somewhat comparable um, places to spend your ad dollars. Very different data sets available, very different ways to measure it. So for example, on the TV side, the most basic way to think about TV is just getting exposure data. Where and when was a TV ad served? So at 1230 in you know Woodstock, New York, an ad was served on the BBC. Getting that data set is actually... A bit of a challenge because uh, there's often a delay in that. Uh, TV vendors can often provide it one or two weeks delayed. They're called post-log reports. But once you actually figure out how to get that data on a recurring basis, you have to figure out how to process it and connect that to what's happening on the client's website. Uh, and that's where you need full session data to start to understand who's arriving on the site. And this also steps back to the idea where there's there are different ways to measure that, right? There's one way to measure, did that TV ad spot drive more people to my site than normal? So that's just like, was there lift? Was there incrementality in terms of the visitors to my website? It doesn't mean that those people actually converted, though. So that's where there's one sort of measurement. Is it kind of helping my top of funnel getting more people to my website? There's a much more bottom of funnel uh, question of, is it actually leading people to convert? And there's a world where people also engage with other channels in between those two different areas. So that's how you can think of something like linear TV. The OTT space, there's more deterministic data sets available there. You can get uh, some form of impression level data, some form of actually... These were the IP addresses, which ironically says, but IP addresses or user agents or device types that uh, this this was served to. And if you have relationships with those vendors, which Rockerbox does, we spend we've done 150 plus integrations the past four years since launching Rockerbox. If you have integrations with these vendors, you can get those data sets and do a better job at measuring that channel. So again, kind of stepping back, your uh, DTC brand thinking of exploring OTT CTV. Um, you don't know, you've never bought uh, bought it before. You have no idea what data sets are available. You have no idea how to get that data set, what the cadence would be. You have no idea how do you connect an IP address uh, of a TV with an IP address of a desktop or a mobile phone. Like these are all questions that like you just don't have expertise in. And frankly, that's okay. Like that's not your job. But if you rely on a measurement provider, they can do that for you so that you can focus your time on scaling versus focusing your time on how do I actually even think about getting to a point where I have data to answer my questions. That is deep. That, I, I love that. And you're giggling a little bit about the IP address, which I was as well. What what are you seeing with some of just the general world of privacy and and what's happened with iOS devices and iOS 15, which I think they're starting to mask IP addresses and doing some other things with an email. But what sort of constraints or friction are you seeing that potentially might impact that? Okay, we have this data set from Hulu and we have this data set from the site or potentially other channels, and we're going to try to marry them together to to paint that picture what's the what's the friction that you're seeing i mean it's high um like there's no there's no doubt that uh over the past couple of years there have been a lot of changes to uh from apple's ios changes to itp to the deprecation of third-party cookies like the writing's on the wall of where the world is going right so we can either choose to fight it or we have to choose to just accept it and figure out how to deal with it 
And fortunately for us in a weird way, we've been at this for, for so long that we've kind of seen the writing on the wall for years. Like Safari got rid of third-party cookies two and a half years ago by now. Uh, I might be off by a bit, but like roughly it's, it's, it's been some time. So from quite a long time ago, we've realized that we need to expect data to be taken away from us. The other side, and this is kind of a funny story, when we first launched Rockerbox, um, I was always concerned, like, how do we, how do we uh, measure the impact of views on Facebook? Back in the day, Facebook used to give feeds of view-based data to certain legacy attribution providers, and they wouldn't give me the time of day. They didn't want to talk to me at all. They just couldn't care less, uh, which is fair. I don't, I don't blame them. So we like, but we still have to measure that. So what we realized internally is like, we need to build systems to take aggregate data from platforms like Facebook and leverage that to measure the impact of things that we might not be able to get deterministically, uh, particularly view-based data. So how can we build models and uh, leverage machine learning to better understand the impact of a channel, even if we don't have user-level data. So in a way, uh, our launching Rockerbox and not having access to data that we would have wanted forced us to become really good at leveraging aggregate data sets to measure impact of marketing. So I think like broadly, that's it. I mean, I think that, that what's going to have to happen is you go on a per-channel basis, you figure out what the best data is that you can get for it, you figure out the best way to measure it, recognizing it's imperfect. And kind of going back to that example, like on the one hand, you have a channel like Linear TV I just mentioned, that's literally not user level at all. It's just something happened in a location, measure that. And we can figure that out all the way down to like paid search, which is very, you know, bottom of funnel, click oriented. Like you can, you can connect those dots really well. But uh, yeah, I mean, identity resolution and figuring out how to connect different dots with different data sets, with different levels of aggregation and different levels uh, and different cadences of data. It's just a really difficult technical challenge, which Rockerbox has become really good at over the past couple of years. Think about a customer that, has done really well in extracting insights from Rockerbox, applying it to the business. What are some just use cases that you can go as deep as you want, but just I'd love to love to take listener through the journey of, okay, now we have all this data in here where we've started to dabble with Hulu and Roku advertising, maybe some TV amongst everything else. How are they actually applying insights to applying action? So taking, taking action on those insights. I'm pausing because I, I won't say specific customer names, but I'll give you kind of like outlines of types of things that have happened. And a lot of customers will do multiple versions of this. And again, I think this is broader than just Rockerbox, but like any brand that's using measurement providers, um, there's a big need for help with testing. Um, just generally, you know, you've been kind of steady stream on a couple channels and you're dipping your toe into something net new that you've never done before. So that's a big challenge, right? Because the worst thing you could possibly do is spend that money and come back internally, uh, you know, the next week and show reporting and have nothing to show for it, right? Dipping their toes into things like uh, those offline channels is big an area where, where clients have, have found Rockerbox helpful because all of a sudden they can actually say, hey, I spend money in this area. I have data I can use to show the impact of it and we can make decisions. So that's definitely happened with CTV, with Linear TV, direct mail, even podcast advertising. We've had clients have leveraged Rockerbox for that. Another use case I'd say very much is around budgeting. How do we think of where to spend our uh, our marketing budget for the year? How do we think of setting that at the beginning of the year and changing that on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis afterwards? So Rockerbox is highly, our data sets become highly involved in that budgeting process. We ourselves don't, like we're not there as a, we, you know, we're not a services organization, but our underlying data does feed into that. Uh, we have some other clients that use Rockerbox more as a, uh, this is actually, especially as a scale, uh, underlying data sets. So we have clients that actually build their own models, uh, their own models to impact, uh, to gauge the impact of their marketing, but they do it based on Rockerbox data because again, they don't have the expertise. They're taking the raw data out, right? I mean, it goes, I mean, it goes even a bit beyond that. They take, uh, they use Rockerbox to get, uh, raw session data, raw, um, impression level data. They use us to figure out that joining of a direct mail, uh, send and a conversion. Like, how do you join those two things? It's, it, there, there's some difficulty behind it. They use Rockerbox to join those. 
Uh, more recently, actually, we launched a product a couple months back that's more focused on getting those core, even platform numbers into a client's data warehouse as well. So they can really start to build on top of Rockerbox. And we have clients that uh, have built their own models on top of our data sets, have built their own scripts to automatically adjust bid prices and budgeting and things like that. So it really just depends on the use case. All the way just to, I mean, lately, a huge one is obviously Facebook and iOS. Um, how do you act you know, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, uh, get the most out of a channel like Facebook? So that's that's been a huge thing in, uh, at Rockerbox. And one of our first things was, again, I mentioned a couple of years back, launching, we call it synthetic events, but the way that we measure Facebook for clients. And that's been hugely important, especially the past couple of years, given all iOS changes. Yep. And you mentioned the going back to testing. So actually extracting, extracting insights and then testing. Is that something even as simple as, hey, we are going to make these decisions based on this data set we're getting from Rockerbox? And they roll out, they make those decisions, whether it's adding a new channel, moving budget around, et cetera. And then they want to actually compare and contrast and similar to like a, a, a conversion optimization test or an AA version type of test. Is that what you mean with, with testing and then coming back and analyzing, making, determining was it the right, right decision or, or not? Well, when, when I think of testing, I think in terms of, so there's multiple types, right? You have your A-B testing, so intra-channel tests. So I want to see, is this new set, that's kind of more like your conversion rate optimization, but like, hey, is this new set of creatives inside Facebook actually giving me, uh, you know, lift? So that that's one type of testing. Another type of testing is more, hey, I want to do some sort of geo-holdout test. I'm going to serve in a certain area, not another area, but I want to understand what the cross-channel impact is of that. And I'm not going to just rely on what the platforms report out, but I want to, because again, like a platform is viewing, you know, Facebook is viewing their own data, their own conversions, their own impressions. There's a world where serving media in one location actually improves your search or your emails or your uh, affiliate performance. So these companies are already running tests. This is just something that all brands we, we find are doing. They need help, though, evaluating it. So Rockerbox can say, uh, hey, give us the input of the test you're running and we'll help tell you the result of that test. So you don't have to understand. It, it kind of comes back to this whole thing where like, what are brands good at? They're good at being creative. They're good at coming up with tests. They're good at taking data and making decisions. I don't think they all have to be good at figuring out how to take... I'm sorry, I said they're good at taking data and making decisions. They're good at taking results and making decisions. I don't think they all have to be good at how do I figure out what a statistically significant test is. Like That's what Rockerbox can be really, can be really helpful at. But stepping back, this kind of comes back to like how you think about measurement. You know, Experiments is a really great way to think about experiments. Attribution is a great way to think about experiments. Path to conversion using post-purchase surveys, promo codes. Like these are all signals. They're all signals that help a brand understand what is driving revenue for them. And none's per- not, not, not any one of them is perfect. So our whole goal is to give the best way to use and leverage each of these inputs as a way to understand how to grow your business. And uh, yeah. My head is exploding right now with just so many different ideas, questions from all the different paths we can go down. I'm curious, any brands that you've seen on board with Rockerbox and start to, they're like, we want to go all in and measurement and, and they hit a wall where it didn't actually end up working out. Not necessarily that they churned or canceled or anything, but they, it could be, they didn't have the right resources. They didn't have the budget to scale on different channels or whatever it might be. But where, where, what are some examples where, again, it was gung, gung ho in the beginning to jump into it. And then it's like, ah, we just, it's too, we're too, too early for that. Yeah, I mean, listen, definitely. I'd love to say that uh, we, we've only had successes, but that's that's definitely not the case. I think there have been self-inflicted issues um, where we just weren't ready to grow and scale with a customer. We've seen that. Like That was earlier on when I mentioned some of our customers. Like These D2C brands can scale really, really rapidly. And at first, we didn't realize what that meant. And we didn't realize 
the level of intensity that that might require for us in terms of them being skeptical of our results, which they should be. I, I, uh, I learned that lesson very quickly. They should be skeptical of results, them wanting to understand the underlying data, them be, wanting to understand how we got our conclusions. At first, we didn't have that. So Ben would be scaling and we weren't there to scale with them. So listen, that was painful at the time. We learned, we improved, we built product, we're able to scale with them today. But we've definitely had those situations. We've also had customers where you know, they might have internal issues. Their business isn't growing as well as I thought it would be. Uh, there could be exogenous issues in the market that are impacting their ability to, to, to grow, to scale, to deliver product, to actually get the, the product from a supply chain perspective. So we've had clients where their businesses aren't scaling as much as they would have liked to. And yeah, they, you know, they either have to pull back their marketing spend or they need to be, you know, uh, do some belt tightening overall in the organization in terms of their, their technologies. That other one too is like we've had times where, Institutional buying is important, right? If you have one random person in marketing that decides to go live with any measurement solution and they just sign it on themselves, if they don't have a good process to ensure that that is understood across the company and that the organization starts to leverage that those results as you know the real source of data to make decisions, that's not going to be successful, right? And I think that's incumbent on a measurement provider like Rockerbox to help explain how how they should kind of get that across the organization. But also, like, if the company is just not ready, they don't have the team, they don't have the infrastructure in place to actually leverage the data, it could be, it could be too much. Um, that's, uh, I mean, to your, you kind of call us out earlier, like we've launched earlier and earlier products to get more, to have a more simple go to market where we can kind of work with earlier stage brands that have fewer people to try to mitigate that. But, um, you know, you can't, uh, not every company is at the stage where they need a Ferrari and that's perfectly fine. You launched that Google Sheet. You launched the recent the Google Sheet. I don't know exactly what what the product name is. I can't recall. But is that that's the yeah. hey you're not quite ready for the quote unquote Ferrari or we just we want to start educating you and, and giving you tools to to pull in the automate pulling in these data sets. So what is that? How does that work? How does that function? Yeah, we call it the marketing data starter pack, and that's exactly it. It's hey, I'm an early stage brand. I'm spending money five, ten, twenty thousand dollars a month, whatever that is. Um, even operationally, I just need to be better, right? It's taking me too much time to log into five different providers to get my data centralized, to come up with initial templates to help me understand this data and make decisions off it. Like I'm just not there yet. And that's what, uh, that's what our product launched a couple of weeks back around marketing, our marketing data starter pack was geared towards. You basically help a brand get all of their data into Google Sheets automatically. We have pre-built templates that answer questions for them. Uh, which is pretty cool, actually. We let them put in uh, fields that are specific to their business. What are your CPA goals? What are you, you know, what, uh, how much cash do you want to spend? What are, what are your budgets? So we can actually tell them based off your inputs and based off what you're seeing, here's where you should scale, here's where you should divest. And it's great. It's great for lots of brands very early in their life cycle. And we're, we're happy to support that and start to get, uh, start to get to work with them. But I know for a fact, you know, if, the, if that brand is scaling in a year, that's not going to be sufficient. In two years, it's not going to be sufficient. It goes back to the whole idea from C to IPO. How can we work with brands through their entire life cycle? Yeah. And that's free, right? That Google, the yeah. Google Sheet, Google Templates. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure to yeah. link it in the show notes. I'm going to go back to something you mentioned in the beginning around platforms that they're still logging into each platform and trying to pull data out from each platform. Do you still think that's that? Brands and marketers should be doing that. They should be logging in Facebook, should be logging in Google Ads and any other channel, TikTok, et cetera. Should they still be doing that? We definitely get to a point with our customers where our numbers are their kind of guiding light. You know, they use Rockerbox to make decisions. I don't want to 
pretend that those companies don't also log into platforms. Like it's just not realistic. Even if our numbers are actually what guides their decisions, like literally we have clients that, you know, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, they give to their CMO and it's the Rockerbox CPA is there, but they're still logging into platforms. I get it. I mean, operationally, they're in there all day. Uh, it makes sense to me. This kind of comes back to my, my whole thesis that like no, no measurement is perfect. I think as a brand, you need all the data inputs so you can triangulate and make right decisions. You know, if you see something in Rockerbox that is orders of magnitude off in the platform itself, like that is something to dive into and look into. And uh, I think that's fair. I think a brand should do that. And I'm, I'm really big on skepticism. Uh, I'm, I'm very skeptical. And I think any marketer, any company should be skeptical as well. I have, I literally have the book on my desk, like the Andy Grove book, Only the Paranoid Survive. So, you know, as a brand, you need to be paranoid in the sense of if something feels off, look into it. Uh, but by the way, those things that feel off sometimes are really great nuggets to dive into. You know, if you find a really big delta between what a platform reports and what something like Rockerbox perform, uh, is reporting, that could be one of those really big signals like, hey, there's actually an arbitrage opportunity. I'm going to double down here because for whatever reason, the platform is not seeing what, what's actually happening. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to do some rapid fire questions here. What is your primary value prop compared to others others in the attribution or e-com measurement space? Is it, again, the, the seed to IPO where that IPO is the path? Is it the TV, OTT type of advertising? What, what would you say are some of the dif- differentiating factors? Technology? Well, listen, we're a technology company, uh, first and foremost. Uh, I'm an engineer. My co-founder is an engineer. Uh, a third of our organizations are uh, engineers. It's not to say that we, we have an amazing CS organization. Like Our sales team is great. Like we, but we're, we're a technology company from, from A to Z. And our goal is that our customers are able to leverage us as a technology company versus a services, solutions, consulting kind of organization. It's not to say we don't provide that if needed, but that's that's kind of going above and beyond when necessary. But really, to your point, I think like, I've kind of stepped back a lot. You kind of had your classic enterprise-grade measurement companies from five to 10 years ago. And the real problem in my mind was that their product was priced and serviced and built in a way that wasn't what I would want it. It wasn't what, when I was running media, it wasn't what I wanted. And it's what I didn't see uh, marketers at like some of the smartest DGC brands in the country wanting. So our whole approach from day one was like, how can we kind of take enterprise and bring it and make it available to everybody? How can we simplify it? How can we make it faster to get up and running? How can we make it more affordable? And I think like that's kind of unique to Rockerbox in that we took enterprise and brought it down market, whereas a lot of other companies are taking Google Analytics and bringing it up market. And I think it's just like a different approach. I think both have, have merits. And I think at times, you know, when you're on GA for a while and you need sort of that next step, some of those companies that do a slightly better job than Google Analytics is a great option. But what's going to happen is over time, that's that you're, you're going to cap out there. You're going to need someone that can scale across every single channel that you're, that you're running on. Uh, that's a huge area that like a Rockerbox has invested in being able to measure from yeah, you know 150 plus integrations just so we can actually ingest data from every channel that clients are, 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 are kind of live on. Around customization of data, uh, granularity of data, uh, getting it all into your uh, kind of into where you need it. I really think we're just, we're a great technology and a great company to be able to scale with hopefully until perpetuity. Um, yeah. Is it safe to say once, once a brand starts branching out from the Facebook and Google and starts to get into some of these offline channels like podcasts, TV, everything else we've mentioned, is that a, a point where they need to start getting a little bit more serious and thinking about, okay, we, we need to start pulling in these data sets. Otherwise, relying on the in-channel attribution that, that they might provide, it's just it's, it's going to be a limiting factor and, and potentially because you don't have the answers preventing someone from scaling one of those channels, the offline channels that might be a, a big boon for them. Uh, so yes, I agree with that. I would say since iOS changes, even if you are really large on Facebook, um, you're going to need measurement help. 
And again, Rockerbox or anybody else, like you will need measurement help. And we have a lot of customers that come to us just for that. Hey, uh, you know, 90% of my budget's on Facebook. Um, I'm struggling to actually, I'm struggling to get what I used to get out of it. And I think, you know, Facebook's, I mean, Facebook's Facebook, right? There, there, there's still a lot. Uh, we have a lot of clients who have a lot, a lot of success out of there. So I don't think you should, uh, count it out or just stop divesting from it, uh, anytime soon. Uh, obviously it depends on per client base, but like even, even in that situation, there, you know, a brand needs help. And like there comes a point where just the amount you're spending on a given channel, it doesn't make sense to not have a third party there to help you measure it. Like the cost of not having it is just not worth the cost of uh, losing out on the incremental revenue that you could be getting if you had the right signal to actually you know, make decisions. What's your thought on the prevailing, if you remove the need for view through data and it's just very heavy UTM tracking, it's almost like we went back 10 years ago where every link needs to be tracked and then building that story between these different links across channels. I don't know how much you've been in the weeds just seeing some of these really good, good, helpful articles that have come out of, hey, use a combination of this plus what you can get out of GA potentially. And and that can get you 80% of the way there. Or do you feel like that's still still not the best route to go? Again, getting more, just being very diligent on UTMs and making sure you're piecing that story together and potentially leveraging some of these other uh, metrics that you might get from. I'll say I'm be very diligent on UTMs no matter what. I'm actually curious, what, what, what's your take on it? I'm happy to give you mine as well, but I'm curious what, what you think. <laughs> Listen, Ron, you, you're the expert here, so I, uh, I'm gonna phone. I'm gonna phone a friend. <laughs> All right. Listen, I mean, there it just doesn't work across a lot of channels. Like, you know, how do you think about podcasts with that? How do you think about influencers with that? How do you think about? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Let's just say just Facebook, Google. If you just if they're just Facebook, Google, maybe throw TikTok in there. So just that that core, and not not think about the podcasts and TV and and others. So I think um, views can matter on those channels. Depends on the cha- it depends on the client. If you're a client or a brand that has, uh, this is like an obvious thing to say, but like a much more visual kind of offering, then it actually makes a big difference. Like if you're in financial services, sometimes less so. But if you're selling, you know, apparel, beauty, uh, jewelry, things like that, the the view component definitely makes makes an impact. Also, particularly YouTube. Uh, I mean, YouTube uh, views are huge. But yeah, I think uh, listen, you can go far with just clicks. I think more broadly, though, it's the issue of. How do you connect dots that are difficult to connect, right? Somebody clicks through on their mobile device, then a week later, they click through on their desktop device. How do you think about ingesting data from after those clicks, be it emails, phone numbers, whatever it is to kind of stitch those dots together? It just gets more and more difficult over time. And it just comes back to my mind, this thing, like, what do you want to own internally? Like, do you want to own internally building the process by which you are uh, trying to do identity resolution, Trying to ensure you're properly tracking, you know, leveraging first part, uh, whatever that zero party data, I guess that's a phrase now, uh, leveraging zero party data and first party data as ways to actually, um, connect dots. Like you can try to do that, but I just think that there's like, I think that's, you know, like in all of our rocker box, like there are many companies that you should be using to give yourself leverage. And, uh, I think that's where we can help. But yeah, I mean, listen, uh, if you told me, Hey, I'm either going to do no measurement, measurement with really well structured UTMs or full measurement provider, I'd rather well-structured UTMs than non-well-structured UTMs all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's the Captain Obvious question that I, I teed you up for there. One, one thing we believe is that with the announcement of Universal Analytics going away and being sunset and just seeing the writing on the wall with what Google's doing, it's almost we feel like the burden to identify even anonymously the user is is going to be on the brand. Now, whether they're using a tool like LOR, Rockerbox, someone else out there, someone that might be new, 
the days where they can just rely on these different tools to handle the identification is we just don't think it's 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 going to exist for much longer. On top of that, with potentially Chrome being the the quote unquote privacy window where they they're handling the consent and as, as your user just fires up their Google Chrome browser, and then that can help feed into some of these other privacy uh, enforcements. And then ultimately with with Google's attribution API, I don't know, I forget what exactly it's exactly called, but they have their new uh, measurement or it's not flock anymore. It's the next. It's the uh, the next phase of flock. But yeah, we're certainly watching what they're doing. Is they're trying to control more just in the browser. It's hard to keep up with Google's branding. Yeah. <laughs> Last question, uh, Ron. I'd love to hear just from you. What are if you were just to look two to three years ahead? I don't want to do five to ten years, but just two to three years. What 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 are you seeing in the future of of ecom and measurement and marketing? It could be it's a very open ended question. We didn't rehearse it, so I'm giving you no 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 time to think about it. But yeah, just some visionary uh, visionary thoughts for you. Listen, I think uh, I think things are only getting harder. I think measurement's only going to get more difficult. I think privacy changes are not going away. Nothing I'm saying here is like overly smart, but like uh, these changes are here to come. I think good brands are going to have to diversify their mix more and more than ever. I think they're going to have to spend more and more money on trying to capture that first-party data so they can re-engage their customers in pseudo-free channels, email, SMS, and things like that, also to to connect dots. Like I think it's going to be incumbent on brands to invest money to capture data that enables them to better measure so they can better actually scale their business. Uh, but broadly speaking, I feel like all that, all that said, um, brands are getting smarter. They're becoming more data-oriented. Uh, more, you know, looking on the future, I think all good brands are going to need underlying data sets that enable them to be data-driven uh, marketers, data-driven organizations. And uh, I think working with technologies that enable you to better do that, be it by having better underlying clean data, like, you know, conversions flowing properly between different platforms, you know, more consistent data sets, it's just going to be critical. So like, I think any brand, the sooner you can start to invest in getting your uh, marketing data infrastructure in place so that you can actually make decisions that are based off data, the better. And it's going to become more and more important in years to come. The other side I'd say is like, I think just companies need to be really adaptable. Like the methods that you use to measure today might not be the same method you used to measure in two years. And that's okay. Um, but like, I think you want to work with partners that can help you help kind of guide you through that path. Um, but uh, yeah, it's getting harder, man. I mean, everything's getting harder, right? Uh, the market's more competitive. It's harder for a brand to grow and scale. The tried and tested techniques that used to use uh, work to scale a brand aren't working anymore. So yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I said the last question. I have one last bonus question. If a someone listening or potentially reading the transcribed version, if they wanted to really just learn, so let's say they they don't have the the skill set today to pull those data sets, do their analysis, ex- extract insights, where would you direct them? I, I don't know if you have training on your side or if there's other other areas that you direct people just to start digging and learning, assuming they have some of the technical skill sets to. Uh, you know, do database queries, but I don't think I have a great answer to that. Um, I think you and I should uh, go and go and build this together. <laughs> um, we also we, we do have some uh, on our blog. We have uh, some content talking about how to think about marketing, how to like actually make analytical decisions. So like I can I can point to Rockerbox, but I don't think we're and I can be critical of ourselves. I don't think we did the best job there yet ourselves, and we should do a better job there. So um, I wish I had a better answer, but I don't. All right, so six months from now, we'll see some of that content up on the site because, again, I think I'd agree with you. It's going to get more difficult. So getting getting people trained up on that and giving them resources to learn will likely be a part of that. 
as the wave of GA4 learning and everyone taking courses on how to extract insights from GA4, that's that's going to uh, explode in the next year as well. All right, Ron, this is great. I have so many more questions, but we're about 40, 45 minutes in. How can people reach out to you and get in touch if they have any questions? Yeah, uh, ronandrockerbox.com. Um, yeah, feel free to email. Happy to chat. Awesome. All righty, that's it for today. See you next time. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Brad. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.